0: Please turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 5. Our sermon text for this morning is John 5, verses 16 through 30. And before we read that together, let's pray together. Our Father, we do cry out to you, as we just sang. Uh, We cry out for mercy and grace. We cry out for your Holy Spirit, that you would pour out your Spirit on us now, that you would give us Uh, eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to receive everything that you have for us in your word. Uh, Father, we pray that you would help us to see Jesus in all of his glory. And uh, we pray that we, in seeing Jesus, would be transformed, uh, as Paul says, uh, transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We pray that you would do this work by your Spirit and through your Son, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John 5, beginning with verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Who does he think he is? We normally ask that question when someone puts themselves in a high position. Who does he think he is giving me orders or bossing me around? or correcting me, or teaching me, or telling me what to do. It's often a fair question, and it is actually a question that we should ask about Jesus. Who does he think he is? It doesn't matter who I think he is. The question is, who does he think he is? It has been popular at various times to question who Jesus thought he was, Some have said that Jesus didn't know who he was, that he didn't understand his mission. And it was a short step uh, from that that Jesus doesn't understand his identity as the Messiah to Jesus doesn't have an identity as Messiah. If Jesus didn't know he was the Son of God, then maybe Jesus was not the Son of God. And so again, we come back to the question who does he think he is? In a passage, perhaps unlike any other in the Gospels, except maybe later in John 14 through 17, uh, Jesus tells us this morning who he thinks he is. And there are two main points. The the first is uh, the unique and intimate unity between Father and Son… And the second is the call to listen, believe, and find life. And the one is conditioned on the other. Because of the unique, intimate unity between father and son, we ought to listen to Jesus, believe the one who sent him, and find life. So first, the unique, intimate unity between father and son. Who is Jesus? The religious leaders of Jesus' day thought that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi overstepping his bounds horning in on their ter- territory, claiming to be something that he was not. Today, many believe that Jesus came as a good person to do good things, to help other good people do more good things. What we find in John's gospel is that Jesus comes as the divine Savior to give life to the dead. And Jesus has just healed a man on the Sabbath. Uh, the Jews, or perhaps better, the Judeans, the Jews living in Judea as opposed to Galilee, hated him for it. Uh, Verse 16 uh, tells us this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Uh, The religious leaders of Jesus' day, particularly the Pharisees, had a very high view of the Sabbath, and they had created dozens of laws hoping to protect the Sabbath day. And Jesus' response is not exactly what we might think. He doesn't say, I didn't break the law, you misunderstood my actions. He doesn't say, I I didn't break the law. You're misunderstanding the law. Jesus' argument is not, you misunderstand the Sabbath, but his argument is, you misunderstand me. His response to the Jews begins in verse 17. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working Of course, this only upsets uh, his contemporaries all the more. In verse 18, uh, we read, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so this discourse begins, a discourse in which Jesus tells us, this is who I am. Now, first, broadly in this passage, Jesus tells us, that he has a unique, intimate unity with the Father. Uh, Jesus' contemporaries are are quick to pick up on this claim. That's why they get so upset. Uh, Again, verse 18, they they understand that Jesus is calling God his own Father. There is this unique, intimate relationship there and making himself equal with God, unity. First, it's unique. Uh, From the start, Jesus talks about my Father, not our Father, not here, not your Father, but my Father. And we have seen this uniqueness since the beginning of John's Gospel. In John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Uh, of no one else can these words be said. Jesus is the eternal Word, the, the one and only. He is the one who is simultaneously with God and was God. Jesus' relationship with the Father is unique. The Father is His father in a way that can be said of no one else in existence. And so Jesus calls him my father. A second this relationship is intimate. He, Jesus says my father, not simply my lord or my god, but my father. Jesus calls God his own father and in verse 20 he says this. He says for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. And notice there are two aspects of this intimacy here. First, the father has love for his son. They are close, right? Intimate. John 3.35 says that the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. John 14.31, Jesus says, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. The father loves the son. The son loves the father. Uh, Second, the father shows the son all that he himself is doing. There are no secrets here. There is no in-group separating father and son. The son is in the know. And he is in the know because the father lets him in. Because they are father and son. Unique, intimate, close, united. Uh, Jesus, as his enemies put it, was making himself equal with God. They got that part right but not equal in the sense of a rival, two equals facing off on the playing field or in the ring, but equal as a, as a teammate, right, side by side. My father is working until now, and I am working. We see this unique, intimate unity in their, in their work and in their authority, in their power and their glory. Uh, Father and son do the same work. Uh, Verse 19, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. And what are they doing? Well, skip down two verses. Verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Uh, Jesus has come to give life. He comes to, to move forward the father's purposes. Verse 30, he says, I can do nothing on my own as I hear from the Father, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. Notice the dependence of Jesus here. He does only as he sees and hears his Father do. They are united in their work. Second, they are united in their authority. Uh, Verse 22 uh, says this, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And then verse 27 picks up on that. Jesus says, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And Jesus has been given the uh, authority from the Father as the incarnate one. Uh, The the picture that that, uh, we see here is, is the one we read about in the book of Daniel. In Daniel 7, Daniel sees a vision of one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is that Son of Man to whom the Father has given authority to rule and to judge. This is Jesus' claim. Who is the judge in Scripture? God is the just judge of all the earth, Genesis eighteen twenty five. But now Jesus has been given authority to judge. The God-man, the Son in human form, He has been given that authority. We read about that in Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, uh, where uh, Paul says, "...the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Here is Jesus' unique, intimate unity with the Father in his authority, right? He is the God-man who has authority, the authority of the Father to judge the world. We see this unity between Father and Son in their their work and in their authority and in their power. Who has power to give life? Only God can raise the dead. Uh, 2 Kings 5-7, Someone comes to the king of Israel in Second Kings seeking to be healed of leprosy. And uh, at this request, the king of Israel tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? God alone can do such things. Or in Ezekiel 37, God says, you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And yet Jesus says that he will raise the dead. In verse 29. In verse 26 he says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Now, those words could be taken one of two ways. If those words are referring to the kind of the being or the essence of who God is, then they're referring to what theologians call the the eternal generation of the Son. Uh, That's just saying that from all eternity, the Father ever and always gives life to the Son. But it could also be referring to the, his life-giving power, that as the Father gives life, so the incarnate Son also. He has been, uh, been granted the power to give life from himself. And so Jesus is saying he is one with the Father in power. is one with the Father in work and authority and power and finally in glory. And Jesus says the Father has given this judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father, that, that if one does not honor the Son, he does not honor the Father. To reject the Son whom the Father sent is to reject the Father. To refuse Jesus is to refuse God, Jesus says. Now in Isaiah, uh, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. And so has, has God changed his mind? Uh, he now wishes to honor the Son as he honored himself. How can honoring the Son also honor the Father? Well, notice, what, notice what's going on. Jesus says that he shares the Father's work. Jesus says that he shares the Father's authority. Jesus says that he shares the Father's power. Jesus says that he shares the Father's glory. Jesus is claiming equality with God. It's a bold claim, don't you think? Uh, these are not simply things people say about Jesus. This is what Jesus says about himself. Isaiah says, to whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? There is no one like God. So what conclusion are we to draw? Is Jesus saying, contrary to Isaiah, that he is simply like God? If so, Jesus is a blasphemer who deserved what he got on the cross. But no, Jesus is not claiming to be like God. He is claiming to be God, God the Son, the Son of the Father. Uh, yes, he, he is a man. Uh, in the last chapter of John, he grew weary, he thirsted, but he is also God, God in human form, at one with the Father. Jesus is the Son of the Father. They, they are of the same kind, right, not created children like us, but the one who was with God and was God from the beginning. He is the Son of the Father in the flesh. They are one. Isaiah 45, which was read earlier, God says, I, the Lord, there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, and from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. That shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear allegiance. God says, I am God, I am the Lord, I am the only God, there is no Savior beside me, turn to me all the ends of the earth and be saved. Paul picks up on these words, uh, these words of the Lord in Isaiah, and he picks up on them in Philippians 2 and applies it directly to Jesus. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the Lord, the only God, the Savior, before whom every knee will bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Jesus is exalted, and in that, the Father is glorified. Those who honor the Son honor the Father because they are one God. At one with the Father, yet distinct from the Father, right? Father and Son are distinct as Father and Son. The Father loves the Son, verse 20. The Father shows His works to the Son. The Father has given judgment to the Son, verse 22. The Father sent the Son, verse 24. And so Jesus is one with the Father and yet distinct from the Father. He is equal with the Father. He has a unique, intimate unity with His Father. Now, you might wonder, okay, how does this all relate to the Sabbath? I mean, that was the controversy after all. Jesus healed on the Sabbath and the Judeans are upset with him. And Jesus replies, my father is working until now and I am working. He responds to them by claiming equality with the father. Again, Jesus' argument is not you don't understand the Sabbath. His argument is you don't understand me. The Jewish people believed that God was always working, even on the Sabbath. He was upholding the universe, even on the Sabbath. God does not take a break on the Sabbath, but he does not thereby break the Sabbath. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they they, they were legalistic about the Sabbath, both in the sense that they believed if you kept the law, God was obligated to save you, and in the sense that they added to the law's demands. They added man-made rules to clarify what God said. But Jesus does not respond to the legalism of the Judeans with a more precise legalism. He doesn't say, you think this is not allowed, but I say it is. You say this is not legal, but there are works of necessity and mercy which are legal. Now, that may be true, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying there is a loophole. Legalists look for loopholes. That is not Jesus' approach. Similar to what happens in Matthew 12. Uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, are upset with Jesus, again, because his disciples were picking grain on the Sabbath. And he says to them in Matthew twelve three through 6, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profaned the Sabbath and are guiltless i tell you something greater than the temple is here see jesus is not arguing here there there are these general exceptions to the rules loopholes that we can all take advantage of he is arguing that when the messiah showed up david on the move in the old testament that the, that the rules did not apply uh, it, it was not that david was loosey-goosey with the rules and we can be too david was god's anointed he had a special role and Jesus is God's anointed. He has a special role. When God's redemptive work was, uh, on his people's behalf was necessary, as with the priests in the temple, the, the, the rule on the Sabbath did not apply. Again, it was not that the priests played fast and loose with the rules, and we can too. It was that the priests had a special role, and Jesus has an even more special role. Uh, there was a, a messianic, redemptive role that could not be held back by any ceremonial rule. God's work, the work of his priests, the work of his Messiah must keep going. Jesus is saying that there are particular redemptive exceptions, and he's saying, I am the greatest exception of all. Matthew 12, 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, if there were exceptions for David and the priests because of the nature of their work, and if they could, as Jesus put it, profane the Sabbath but remain guiltless, how much more is that true of God, who continues to uphold the world? And if it's true of God the Father, then it is true of God the Son, who has come to redeem that same world. See, Jesus' argument for why he was not a Sabbath breaker was, don't you know who I am? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I am God in the flesh. My Father is working until now, and so am I. The main thing we see in our text, then, is this, this unique, intimate unity between Father and Son, that the Son is equal with the Father. He and the Father are both at work and yet guiltless when they work on the Sabbath day. You might think, well, okay, uh, why does that matter? Is this just a bit of theological minutiae, uh, something to be brought out on game night so you can win at Bible trivia? No. No. Uh, because the question, who do you think you are, is often followed by the question, why should I listen to you? Which brings us to the call to listen, believe, and find life. And Jesus says, the Son gives life to whom he will. He has authority to judge and so authority to give life. He came that we might have life and have it abundantly, he says in John 10.10. 10. But you might ask, okay, well, well, how do we receive that life? How does Jesus give that life? How does it come to us? Well, what does Jesus say? Verse 24, he says, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Verse 25, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Verse 28, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Life comes from hearing and believing the word of Jesus. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, there's more to it than this, but the more is more about Jesus, right? Jesus, the incarnate Son of Man, gains this right to give life by obeying the Father, by dying for sin, by rising from the dead, conquering sin and death by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as the risen Son, the one whom Paul says was declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, this risen Son gives life to whom he will. Specifically, he gives life to all who hear His word and believe. Now you might wonder, well, what is this word of Jesus that I must hear and believe? Well, in Romans 10, Paul says, "We hear the voice of Christ in the gospel, and we hear the gospel through the preacher. Now Uh, That's not because I'm anything special in myself. Uh, If you're somehow confused about that, just ask my boys. They will be happy to tell you that I'm nothing special. But this is the way God works. And notice Jesus says in verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. See, when we hear the word of Jesus, we hear the voice of the one who sent him. We hear the Father through the Son. And we hear the word of Jesus in the gospel, and we hear the gospel through the preacher. Which means by God's grace, as we gather, we gather together to hear the word of God. We hear the word of God in the preaching of the gospel. This is not, it's not my word, but it's God's word, the word of Jesus, who is the word of the Father. Do you hear and will you believe? If so, Jesus says you will receive life now and in the age to come. Uh, did you notice the time markers in Jesus' words? Uh, in verse 25, he says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. See, when you hear the voice of Jesus in the gospel and believe, you gain life right here, right now. In verse 24, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You see, the verdict on the last day, when God will judge the hearts of men, for those who hear Jesus' word and believe it, that verdict has already happened. They have already passed from death to life. They already have the eternal life, the life of the age to come in them by the Spirit. I put in layman's terms, right, when we believe in Jesus, we're forgiven of our sins and restored in relationship with God, which is eternal life. And that's not all. Uh, verse 28 and 29 say this uh, Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. See, there will come a, a, a day. When Jesus will speak one last time, as it were, and everyone, everyone will hear his voice, and the dead will hear his voice. Those in the tombs will hear his voice. Those who died a thousand years ago will hear his voice. Those who just took their last breath will hear his voice, and they will get up, and his voice will give them life, everyone. But even then, there will be a distinction. Jesus says those who have done good will receive the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil, the resurrection of judgment. Now, what are we to make of this done good versus done evil distinction? Does Jesus mean if if you're a good person, you will receive life, and if you're a bad person, you will receive judgment? And everything else in the gospel speaks against this. John the Baptist told us that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There are no good people, we need our sins removed. Perhaps Jesus means those who have given evidence of their faith by doing good. Maybe. But it is best to turn to somewhere else in John. Turn to the next chapter in John, John 6, 28 to 29. The people say to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? That's what we need to do. No, what do we need to do to do God's works? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. There is life to be had. There is life now by the Spirit, what John calls eternal life, fullness of life, forgiveness of sins, and communion with the Father in the present. And there is life to come at the word of Jesus, resurrection life, being raised from the dead on the last day. And do you remember uh, why John is writing this book? I, I keep reading these verses again and again because they're so key to everything John says. In John 20, verses 30 and 31, John says, now this, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, You may have lots of questions about that, like, well, what does this life look like? Or what does it mean for how I am to live? Or how can I be sure? But for now, hear this, Jesus is one with the Father. He is the God-man, the -the in-the-flesh Son. He has a unique, intimate unity with the Father which allows him to give life to whom he will. Listen to him. Believe the one who sent him, and you will receive eternal life. There's nowhere else to turn, right? No one else who gives life. As Peter said in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. We thank you that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the God-man, that he is Yahweh in the flesh. We thank you that he came to save, that he came to give life. And we pray, Father, that you would give us ears to hear, open our ears, that we would hear the word of Jesus and believe. And in believing, we would find life in him.